Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan and Phil Goldfeder here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com. And uh, we've had a couple weeks away, Phil, and uh, I missed you. But thankfully, we have a lot to talk about this morning, don't we? Good morning, Michael. It is so great to be back. Great to have our listeners back with us. Uh, it has been a busy week, a busy couple weeks. It's been quite a while. And once again, no shortage of news. But uh, I think... This is a great week to start off in a, in a place where we both agree on something I don't think we've agreed on in a really, really, really long time. And, and that is, you know, a big thank you to, to President Trump for uh, for his actions on Israel. I mean, there's been a, a tremendous amount of talk over the last 20, 25 years. And, and this is a president who actually made it happen, who moved the embassy, the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And it was uh, it was a huge ceremonial event that was kind of hard to find any fault. I mean, personally, I, I thought it was it was just a great move. I thought the ceremony was very, very well done. I'd, I'd love to hear. I mean, Michael, you had the privilege actually being there. I mean, if you can, I mean, give our audience a sense of, of what that was like. I mean, this is a, a, a this is history. It, it was. It was historical in the making. And from my perspective, also coupled with Amir Yerushalayim, which was the day before, it was very emotional. And you come just to see the idea, or not the idea, actually, in print, in fact, in etched in stone, Jerusalem, Israel. And we might say, okay, so we're, we're Jews and we're believing Jews, so we don't need an outside power to tell us, an outside country to tell us that Jerusalem is part of Israel. But I will say personally that for years, the denial of Jerusalem as being part of Israel, the idea of the eternal capital of the Jewish people being denied by most of the world that it is part of Israel, that hurts. That hurts me as a Jew. It actually even hurts me as an American to deny a basic truth. And that's the perspective I look at it from. You come there, you come to the embassy site, and you see that on the wall. You see it uh, festooned all over the place. It's on the hats. They changed the Twitter handle. Now, the United States has righted what I believe was a historic wrong. Okay, for 70 years, and it was done to the day of 70 years after Harry Truman recognized the state of Israel in the opposition, of course, of the State Department, we know historically. And for years, the State Department had fought against recognition of Yerushalayim, of Jerusalem, since 1967, since it's been a united city, against that recognition of Jerusalem as the capital, even though, of course, every country should have the right to choose its capital. And the only country not afforded that right is Israel. So there's so many reasons why this was a historic wrong. And to get there, it was so emotional when you think about it. And you think about, it, well, it's just a building. Who cares, right? Well, I'm, I'm not the most emotional guy. And I, I actually say it really had an impact on me. And I will say I, President Trump, uh, this, the disruptor, the man that we do criticize quite a bit on the show, but tremendous amount of credit for staying the course for not listening and giving in to the critics. And to David Friedman, the ambassador, has really changed the way the United States is deal with Israel and with, with the Middle East in general. Uh, Tari Lightstone, as chief of staff, put the, the event together, but also has, uh, you, you think about it, the team that's out there that's changing the face of the way the United States is dealing with the Middle East and is dealing with Israel whether it's David Friedman or Jason Dove Greenblatt or Jared Kushner and others, it's it's quite 
it's breathtaking when you think about it compared to what had we had under the previous administration where literally Israel was in the wrong all the time. And I don't want to make this a Democrat Republican thing because it's not I, I don't know I think it's it's more than that. It's just this recognition that Israel shares our values. Israel is a ally of the United States and it's time to recognize those facts. It's time to recognize these truths. And if the Palestinians are just going to delay and the Arabs are just going to delay and they're going to continue to, the United States should not, and they're going to continue to export terrorism and, and conduct terrorism against both the United States and against Israel, then the United States doesn't need to suffer that. And they can just go ahead and move that along. And I think it sends a tremendous message, despite the fact that the Europeans and others chose to ignore it and they go to the UN and they vote against it. So what? It happened. It's a fact. Now there is the greatest country in the world, the greatest democracy in the world, the leader of the free world, the most powerful country has now recognized something that we all knew in our hearts and we all knew in our minds was a fact. So, so it was it was a great it was a great event. It was a great ceremony. I was very proud to be there. And you witnessed it from the White House. So it just you, know, you could have watched it on TV, but instead I think you you chose to go where uh, to join the vice presidents, you know, where it was uh, also done on this side, on this side of the pond, and showing the importance to the U.S. government of this decision. Yeah, it was, I think it was hard for a lot of people to travel, a lot of members of Congress, members of the Senate, members of the administration who just couldn't travel because their business did, or, or their schedules didn't allow for it. And so they hold they held a special viewing ceremony at the White House, which I was in, uh, I was honored to attend. And it was... What was so fascinating is because we were watching it, much like you're watching it on a TV screen or a computer screen, we were watching it on a screen uh, broadcast live via satellite, but the emotion and the excitement and the enthusiasm of the room was was palatable. I mean, it was literally like we were sitting right there. Um, you know, we all, you know, when, when, when it called for it, we all stood up and we clapped and we, we cheered. Uh, when it called for it, we, we so there was people in the room that were literally crying. It was just a, a very emotional scene. And to be, I mean, you know, you were there, and I would say there's no question. If I could be there and, and I was able to, to get to Israel, that, that would have been where I'd like to be. But, like, I'd have to say a close second is in the White House. I mean, you're, you know, you're in this just historical place, and you don't know who sat in that seat before you, right? All throughout history and who sat in that seat. And to witness this, uh, this historical uh, occasion with members of Congress, members of the Senate, members of, of the president's administration. And so... It was really just, it was very, very moving. And so I, you know, I'd, I'd love to sort of hear from you for a moment. I mean, there was a, a tremendous amount of speeches and a lot of people who spoke passionately from the heart. I mean, who do you think was the most moving? You know, who sort of, who roused and inspired more than others? John Hagee. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the end was unbelievable. And, uh, you know, it's funny. I had the opportunity to joke around with Senator Ted Cruz afterward. And he said, Michael, do we know how to pray in Texas or what? <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that kind of captured it. I, I, I it, the idea that he said, "Let every Islamic terrorist know that Israel lives." Let it ring out in the halls of the United Nations that Israel lives. The whole premise here is we are going to stop the delegitimization of Israel, and. The idea of not recognizing Israel's capital and its right to declare its own capital is part of the effort, the international effort, the Arab effort, the Palestinian effort for years and years and years to delegitimize Israel. It's the same thing as BDS. We're going to boycott Israel. We're going to boycott their academics. We're going to boycott their products. We're going to boycott their capital. It's all part of that. 
Why should any country, any sovereign nation, not be permitted to choose its own capital? And I thought that was incredible. I thought Jerry Kushner actually gave it. I really never heard him speak before. That was I mean, my we next rarely, question. We rarely hear, hear that. He gave an excellent speech. David Friedman was fantastic. Uh, he's he. You know that when you think about it, that the opportunity for one person to really have an impact. You put the right person in the right place at the right time. And he has had a tremendous impact. You hear from Israelis. He is a rock star in Israel, wherever he goes. And you see, and I went to a number of events. I mean, Mayor Barkat of Jerusalem had a beautiful breakfast on the fourth floor of the Waldorf Astoria Hotel, uh, welcoming the delegation. It was actually very brief, very short. He, they invited mayors from all around Israel to with the official U.S. delegation. So I was there for that breakfast. Food was excellent. Compliments to the Waldorf. Uh, <laughs> and the Orthodox Union had a breakfast right after that. Then there was a Republican Jewish Coalition reception the night before. And the night before that, there was a Friends of Zion dinner, which I did not attend because I was on the rooftop of Eshet Torah uh, going ahead and celebrating Yom Yerushalayim with a absolutely packed to capacity Kotel Plaza. Uh, it really was unbelievable, that whole thing. It was it was a phenomenal experience. So Yom Yerushalayim alone is <clears throat> is phenomenal. Michael, this are, are you saying please. are you saying the New York Times got it wrong? People in Israel had reason to celebrate. It's it's not even. It's can that be? It's and I and I, I and I tweeted against this. I mean because the the New York Times headline of of that you know, that Israel's are uh, you, you, I could show you on my phone firsthand the 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 euphoria about Yom Yerushalayim that existed. The fact that every time you spoke to somebody, oh, you're going to the embassy. Incredible. Great. You know, and there's a lot, there's this idea that a lot of Israelis were ambivalent. Well, maybe, I, I okay. I mean, maybe there was 20% of the country that was ambivalent. Maybe 25% of the country is ambivalent. Everybody else, there's a broad consensus in Israel amongst the parties, maybe except for Meretz and the Arab parties, that this was a wonderful move. This was a wonderful gesture by the United States and hopefully many other countries will follow this example. I do not get, I mean, I have to say, I have to take issue. The New York Times op-ed by Michelle Goldberg was absolutely sickening. Called this a grotesque uh, event because at the same time, I mean, we don't, I'm happy to go into the Gaza stuff because I think it's, that's also sickening. And the fact that it's happening is sickening. And and how the media has portrayed it is, is absolutely sickening. Uh, but, to call this a grotesque display, number one, you we all know that Hamas decided that they're they're literally paying people to get shot. Okay, it's it's there are the Pal the Palestinians, the Arabs who are getting shot are actually saying that our intention is to go across the border and kill Israelis, burn Israeli fields, burn pillage. What country would allow that? What should what exactly do all these people who are pontificating about Israel's response what what is the what is their expectation and uh i it's uh it was it is indeed tragic the juxtaposition of what happened in Gaza and at the same time as the embassy but unfortunately when you use terrorism as a tool as a political tool as a political weapon this is what you're fighting against people who want to pay their own people to essentially get either get injured maimed or die. And let's not give the Daily News a pass. I thought what they did on their cover was was a disgrace. I mean, the Daily News was blatant, and to me, again, this is my opinion, was blatant anti-Semitism. I mean, it was to sort of conflate these two events, to, to somehow 
bring some moral equivalency to these two events was was an absolute disgrace. And 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 I, folks, you know, mark your mark mark your calendars. Like, I thought Ivanka Trump did a great job, right? I thought she did a. I thought she was poised. I thought like under. What, what could have been difficult circumstances, I thought the entire ceremony was handled very, very well, very dignified, very respectful. It wasn't, there was no, you know, ha-ha, we got you. It was, it was a, res- a very well-run, very, well, very, very respectfully done and tasteful event. And, and to sort of, it, it, it has become where regardless of what the truth is or regardless of, of what is real, if President Donald Trump is doing something, certain people must be against. Yeah. And I, I want to say that you and I, and, and while we'd spend a lot of time talking about what we think mistakes that the president is making, we don't believe this was one of them. This and was I, not one of them. And I look to, to senators, look, you know, and for anybody who wants to complain, and we get a lot of emails and, and a lot of comments, or anybody who wants to complain about the Democrats or Senator Chuck Schumer, who actually complimented President Trump on this move, right? President, you know, Chuck Schumer, the leader of the Democrats, actually complimented and gave credit where credit is due to to President Trump for making this move. And so, you know, sort of in turning back to the media for a second, it's it's been absolutely disgraceful. It's been absolutely disgraceful. It's somehow the the left, and I don't want to again. I'm, you've all heard me say I'm my my I'm my I'm not trying to take every Democrat and and completely generalize the entire Democratic Party, but there are those on the far left led by Bernie Sanders, who are are sort of talking about the plight of the poor Gazans, who literally are sending their women and children to the front, right? There are videos, there's, you know, and I don't know who, I don't know, I don't think it's the actual Mossad who runs the Mossad Twitter account, right? But, but I mean, there's literally video after video after video of makeup artists who are, who are literally putting makeup on and, and doing fake videos from uh, from Gaza so they could put it up on the internet and, and, and sort of fake and, and fool the world. And I think we'd be remiss, and, and sort of I think this may be a good segue. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't, you know, sort of, you know, sort of in, in piling on today. A huge shout out to, to Ambassador Nikki Haley. I mean, yes, what she did, what she said was was only half of it. But to get up and walk out and say, you know what, I'm not even going to dignify the Palestinian representatives by listening to what they have to say because whatever they're going to say is not going to be, it's not going to be truthful, it's not going to be right, and I'm not going to sit and listen to it. And you have to give her a ton of credit. The absurdity of this, and it's sad because it's incredibly sad. What happened yesterday, where if you believe the story or how the story happened, either way, it's tragic that an eight-month-old baby was brought to the front, if you will, or brought to the border and then died of tear gas. Whether or not that did happen, I don't know. There was some conflicting. I read even in the New York Times that the baby may have had a congenital heart defect and it wasn't actually from tear gas. Either way, it's tragic. What was the baby doing there? What Exactly. What mother brings an eight-month-old to a conflict zone? We, you know you're going to put your child in danger. This is the whole point, but this is indicative of the whole thing, is that they are intentionally putting people in danger. And this is a border. This is a border. What would one have Israel do? Israel withdrew from Gaza. That was supposed to create peace. That was the point. Disengagement. Let's take ourselves out of the lives of the Palestinians. Let us take us away from daily conflict with the Palestinians in Gaza, and therefore that will lead to some kind of, maybe you want to call it a full peace, we'll call it an accommodation. Yet, that has not been what's happening. And why would Israel go ahead and cede any more territory or cede or create or not create a border when they have 
people bent on destruction. And we can go into the whole... The, the amazing part of this is the Palestinian representative at the United Nations doesn't even represent the government in Gaza. Doesn't represent it's Hamas. A di- it's a different government. They don't control Gaza. And by the way, and they're not welcoming to the Gazan people, and they're not uh, accepting of the Gazan people. It's unbelievable. The, the, the interesting thing here, just geopolitically, to get not to get too deep into it, is the lack of demonstrations, the lack of... Uh, in in the West Bank, in Judea and Samaria. You just haven't seen it, which is quite incredible when you think about it. Obviously, the economy is doing much better. I don't want to say, look, this problem needs to be solved. Okay, this is not me saying, I'm not going to sit here and solve it. You're not going to sit here and solve it. It doesn't need to have a Democratic solution or a Republican solution. It needs to have a global solution. You need to figure it out. However, from my point of view, and I'm sure a lot of point of view, recognizing the fact that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, while also leaving potentially room for the Palestinians to claim part of Jerusalem as their capital, whatever part that is. If that, in fact, is happening, and I'm sure it's going to be controversial, a lot of people are going to be, that is something, that is a basis on which to negotiate. And if other people were willing to negotiate, and, but they are not. And this is what it was, it was probably lost on most of the world and most of the media who, who decided to to sort of create their, their own version of what happened, but... Every single speaker said that. Every single speaker right. said nearly every well, single nearly one, everyone. Nearly every single speaker mentioned the idea that, that this is hopefully a mechanism towards peace. We'd love to find a mechanism to bring the Palestinian people in and, and figure out a way to actually make this happen. Again, what could have been a we got you and, and sort of, you know, sort of stomp on the grave kind of ceremony was a uh, to me what seemed like a a, a a welcome call for peace, right? And instead, what you saw on the Gaza border was just a disgrace. I mean, and, and to, put it into, to put it into context, I mean, you know, if the people of Canada were rushing the American borders, right? Like, you know, it, it just think about that. This is, you know, I think too often times people don't think of it as like two different countries or two different territories, right? Think about that. The people of, of, of Mexico or the people of Canada were literally rushing the borders with rocks and stones and, and Molotov cocktail, cocktails. And kites. And intended. what do you think American troops on the border would do? I mean, what would America's response be? Right? What would the average American person want to do? Right. And, and, and the point here is that, and I think I saw on Twitter from another grotesque Twitter about this from a not sure, remember exactly which journalist, but usually somebody who's pretty, is that when when people on both sides die, it's a battle. When people on only one side die, it's a massacre. Well, I mean, you're basically faulting the Israelis for not dying, right? You have to, there should be casualties on the Israeli side, okay? But that's, you know, it's kind of like the idea of you have an infantryman versus a tank, do you blame the people in the tank for massacring the people in the infantry? No, they're fighting against each other. That is what is happening. So the idea that Jews have to die in order to create sympathy, that they, that Israelis need to die in order to create sympathy for the world, is is a, just a sickening idea. And just to clarify, right, the Israelis do everything they can to minimize the loss of life. Everything from from whether it's tear gas or rubber bullets or even sending leaflets into Gaza to say, hey, if you show up at the border— there's going to be problems, right? They literally do everything they yeah. can to discourage people from causing... Look, you and I both know what peaceful protest looks like. It happens all the time. We see it here in Manhattan. We see it all across the country. We understand what peaceful protest is. This is not peaceful this protest. Is, this is definitely not that. Well, I want to end on a happy note, because, because Phil, because it actually happened, and at least end the segment on a happy note. It happened 
The embassy has been moved. It's a momentous, historic occasion. I'm glad that I was there to witness it in Israel. You were there to witness it in the White House. And the fact that the White House actually held a ceremony for that and for the people to come who, who couldn't make it to Israel is quite important. I will say, just as a note, uh, it was being there, and I'm not sure what the dynamics and the excuses were. It was upsetting, uh, I think, you know, possibly upsetting from a Republican perspective that they didn't invite Democrats or just from a Democratic perspective. Uh, perspective that members of the of the congress didn't go and didn't make the trip it was exclusively republicans um you know i hope i don't know i don't know the information about who's at fault or why is at fault but this should be once again a bipartisan issue i know a lot of democrats politically do not want to be with the president can so. i say and 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 sort of this is actually a very scary thing right this is this is sort of you're you're taking what was once if you, if you recall the vote on and the president I was under President Clinton right a Democrat and I think the bill was drafted by Senator Schumer back in the 90s to move the the embassy and it had a it got a unanimous vote Democrats and Republicans right there are some issues where you just put the politics away right. put the ideology away put it away it's not important today this is not what we're fighting about that's what we call governing right that's what government is all about right that's the the, the fundamental difference between an advocate and someone who has to govern. An advocate can take his position all the way for as long as he wants. Someone who has to govern actually has to find some middle ground. And to me, on something like this, if, 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 and, and again, I think that the facts have been disputed, right? If, if by chance the Republicans didn't invite Democrats or if the Democrats were invited and didn't go, either one of them are absolutely wrong. I think it was, again, it was just, it, it was, it was shameful, right? This is not absolutely. what we expect from our elected and, leaders. Right. This is not, we don't have to have this sniping, this continued sniping around this. Okay. We got to move on, Phil. This is Spin Class here on the Malcolm Siegel Network and a big earthquake in New York state politics. And I'm not talking about the fact that Governor Cuomo said he was going to Israel and then shortly afterwards said he's not going to Israel. I'm still confused by that. So we're going to have to wait, let that sort out uh, afterward. But I'm talking about the fact that Eric Schneiderman, the sitting attorney general, had a story against him about abuse of women and three hours later he's out and now aren't you upset that you're not in the assembly to pick the new attorney general no this is actually one of those times where i'm quite quite frankly i'm happy to not be in albany not to be in the assembly to deal with the circus surrounding uh sort of not just what the process and picking a new attorney general but i mean the case to begin with i mean i as, as astute political observers i think when the story came out i I told colleagues and friends, you know, I give him 24 hours before he has to resign. I think this was historic. I mean, three hours um, that it took him to resign. And it was, look, there, there's no excuse. Let, let's just full stop right there, right? There, he should have resigned. He should have resigned instantly, right? He should have come clean long before the story hit. He should have found a way to come clean. But I think what bothers most people, and this is what I've heard sort of after the fact, um, is the hypocrisy, Right. This was a man who presented himself. And, and by the way, and, and let me sort of be full disclosure, I've, I've known Eric Schneiderman for a long, long time. We've worked together on, on many issues. This was complete hypocrisy, right? If, if you have skeletons in your closet, I think you have to be extra careful on how you present yourself and how, how you know, you're perceived to the world. Because I think what bothered people more than the story, which was gruesome and disgusting and, and just... It was. I, I, I can't find the right adjective to, to truly encompass, you know, that that New Yorker article. However, for him to stand in the last eighteen months on his moral high ground that somehow he was the defender of women, he was the protector of women, he was the the anti-Trump because he stood for everything that was right, and Donald Trump and his comments and his demeanor is everything that is wrong. 
those in glass houses should not throw <laughs> stones. My parents taught me that when I was a very little, very little boy, and and clearly some it's an important you know, lesson. Eric Schneiderman missed that lesson. That's an important lesson. I mean, the word that always comes to mind when people think about Eric Schneiderman is sanctimonious. It's always how he was. That's he was sanctimonious when he was a state senator, and he was sanctimonious as attorney general. Always, always portraying himself as holier than thou, as better than everybody else, and that was a very quick fall. Uh, I, I mean, was I surprised by the story? Absolutely. Uh, the swiftness. I mean, it just, it, it just, none of it, it. It's just quite amazing that we've had this string of politicians in New York State, whether it's Elliot Spitzer, Alan Hevesy. I mean, statewide officials who have just literally blown up their careers and blown up their lives on on very avoidable types of things. I mean, you do not need to do this. I mean, this is a sickness. This is a problem. Uh, uh, assaulting people is a... Even if you claim that it's somehow private, it's just... It's shocking. It's shocking, really shocking. And the fact is that this came out, and it took years, actually, for it to come out. Uh, you know, it's a new era, and it's a good era. I, I'm happy, pleased that these types of things... I've seen the light of day. What happens now, Phil? I mean, you can. It's mostly going to be on the Democratic side. I think the Republicans are retooling, trying to find a, a more pri-profile candidate. Both conventions are next In, week. Interestingly enough, and and this has sort of got lost, but the Republican uh, candidate for Attorney General was that same day announced that same, that same day. afternoon. I mean, nobody nobody knew who he was. Uh, I. I I still don't know who he is. I still don't know who what his name is. I, you know, you touched on the the idea that that Governor Cuomo sort of abandoned Israel now in their time of need, and I thought it was. I was a little disappointed. I didn't, I didn't say that. Oh, that's. I said it felt like a flip flop to me. I'm going. I'm not going. I don't understand. I was a little disappointed. Uh, let me say this, and, and I give the governor all the credit in the world. Were you invited again, on the trip? I was not invited okay. on the trip. I, I, didn't, I just want to know why you were disappointed. No, that he was, was. Well, I'll tell you why I was disappointed. I mean, look, he to his credit, he has been a leader on Israel issues at every step of the way. Whether it was BDS, whether it was going to Israel during the Gaza during the, the time in Gaza, um, this was a little disappointing. And I, I think what I think what bothers me is not that like, hey, maybe it's a little unsafe. Maybe it's not the best time to go for whatever reason. To me, it seemed like there was a little politics involved, right? Whether it was because you don't want to be seen as sort of promoting the Trump portion of what was happening or the celebratory portion of the Trump, or you don't want to offend the liberal left because you're going at a time when you should be talking about the plight of the Gazans, right? So so either way, it seems that politics may have played into and this. And of course, and I'm just, he, I'm went to, he went to the JCRC dinner to announce it, so he throws red meat at that crowd and then turns around. Yes, it was a little bit... It was a, it's, it's a flip-flop. I mean, you're literally speaking... This is the definition of telling one crowd what they want to hear, telling another crowd what they want to hear, and I was a little disappointed. And then I'm, you say it's too dangerous, which I have to... Having just come back... That's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely and ridiculous. So I, I think the governor owes us a little bit more. But now, sort of shifting into this governor's race, right? This is, you know, there's a, there's a reason why there's multiple elected officials on the state level, right? It's what we have. It's it's a check and balance, right? You know, elected officials are supposed to be collegial. They're supposed to work together. But obviously, there's supposed to be a, a separation of, of power, of responsibility, you know, especially from an attorney general's office, right? The chief law officer of the state. And for, I think... Much like we saw uh, Elliot Spitzer try to insert himself uh, back years ago with uh, with Tom Dinopoli when he became the state controller, you're now seeing similar the governor trying to insert himself into two things: the assembly's, uh, the legislature's picking of the next potentially picking of the next attorney general, and how the governor is trying to influence that process. But more importantly, sort of making it clear that 
he wants to meet with all the candidates that want to run for attorney general. So I can tell you as someone who ran for office, I, there was no requirement of me meet with the governor or meet with anybody before I ran for office. I thought I could do a good job. And so anybody, if I'm the governor, I say, you, hey, you, anybody, only meet, you only meet with him because you want his support. That's right. And anybody, in this case, you don't need his support because he doesn't vote. That's right. And so anybody who says, anybody who says, uh, anybody who says, I want to run for office, I want to speak and, and represent the people, you don't need anybody's approval. And I thought it was, it's interesting what he's doing. And I, I thought- well, what he did do- creatively is he tainted the legislative process by essentially saying that the legal legislative process you know the the law following the law was somehow this backroom deal and he tainted that and caused certain people to back out of that process to not want to be the interim attorney general because of that again i'm not taking a position one way or another politically but I, I think it was actually politically astute of him but not necessarily right <laughs> yeah look and, and plus right look again it's if you take a look at the governor's race the governor's race is really about the far you know it's generally uh Elections like this are won in the primary, and this is a fight for the far left, right? If Cynthia Nixon, who's running against Andrew Cuomo in the primary, is coming at him from the left, and so he has a problem. He has a problem with moderate Dems generally from Long Island and upstate, and he has a problem with the left in New York City. And so the governor, I think, is searching for a, is searching desperately for like a real strong base that he can stand on, and he's not finding one. And so he's looking for opportunities to influence and pressure others to sort of get on board with him as opposed to sort of going what would naturally mean. Look, Tish James, who announced her candidacy for attorney general, it's only because of the Working Families Party did she ever get elected to right. the New York City Council. Right. And so, again, you know, I'm not even and putting then, this on her, then, right? For the governor and then to you pressure have to, her We have to wrong. explain that she, she has now rejected the Working Families Party endorsement for uh, attorney general. So, yeah. Yeah, because the governor is feuding with the Working Families Party. It's it's a little bit disappointing, and 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 look, this there's going to be open elections. Everybody can could vote their mind. I, I don't know the assembly and the legislature are finishing up their their process this week. My guess is they're going to go with the current acting attorney general um, to hold to hold again. And that so is not that gonna, is my guess. Wow. Wow. Um, Okay, I so think our very own surprising I, because they certainly have could pick their own. But we're actually out of time here on Spin Class here on the Nakam Siegel Network. Uh, just a last uh, spin of the week. I think that's going to go to Rudy Giuliani, who has just had an incredible <laughs> spin run uh, over the last couple weeks as the new attorney for Donald Trump. Uh, he goes out on TV and drops his bombshell by saying that he spoke to the Mueller team and they have they have said they cannot or they won't indict the president even if they find wrongdoing. Uh, it just, I don't understand why you would go public with that type of thing unless you're just totally saying that there is no reason whatsoever to continue to go after the president because even if he committed a crime, we're not going to do anything like that. It's kind of spin. It's in the wrong way, but Rudy must have some idea about what he's doing because every day he is uh, spinning with the best of them. Thank you for joining us. Stay tuned for Jerry. Uh, Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Joseph. See you next week.